Yes, um, Brother Tapiwa laid the foundation already on the person of the Holy Spirit. There's no need for me to repeat much. So we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit and particularly the work of the Holy Spirit in, sal in salvation. So um, I use this book by Dr. Conrad Mbewe, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going through the second chapter, but not the whole chapter because there's too much to learn about from the second chapter, so we're merely going to do half of it, and the next teacher will continue from there. So the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, and for us to really understand the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, the first thing we need to understand is the state of mankind. Why should the Holy Spirit come to perform his work in a person or in a human being? So we're going to look at the state of mankind and particularly the, particularly the unregenerate state of mankind. So one thing that we should know that scripture tells us is that mankind is dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. If we can turn Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the reality about mankind, that those that are not in Christ, they are dead in their trespasses. Those are the, that's the black and white picture of it. It's either or. No one is in between. If you are not in Christ, you are dead in your trespasses. So the nature of mankind originally, because of the fall, is death. So when you are born from birth, from childhood, you are dead in your sin. That's the first thing. So to be dead in sin means to be spiritually incapable of anything. You are spiritually incapable of anything. There is no spiritual life at all. You cannot see, you cannot hear, you cannot feel anything. I want you to, 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 to imagine how it's like to be dead. Let's take it... Uh, in the physical sense of it, when you see a corpse in a coffin, that person is dead physically. There is no hearing, there is no feeling, there is no smelling, there is nothing, no sense, nothing you can do. And there's incapability in that person to even perform anything. If you tell a corpse, breathe, it cannot breathe. If you tell it to hear, it cannot hear. That's the nature of spiritual death. A person who is spiritually dead is incapable of hearing even the word of God. Is incapable of doing the things of God. He cannot even tell a corpse, 
to rise and it will not rise. If you tell a corpse to, to blink, it cannot blink, it cannot do anything. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. You are completely incapable of anything. If God calls, you cannot hear. If the word is preached, you cannot hear. You are incapable of doing good. You are incapable of following God's law. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. Another aspect of being dead spiritually is hostility towards God. Not only are you passively neutral to hearing God's word, not only are you incapable of doing anything that you're told to do, but on the opposite, you are capable of doing the opposite of what you're supposed to do. And all your ways, everything that you do is against God. That's also an, another aspect of being dead spiritually. It is quite interesting that when you, when you look at it, like after using the comparison of being dead physically, now being dead spiritually is as good as being dead physically and beyond because you also hate God. If God was to call you, if God, were, if God was to stand there and say, here I am, you don't want to go to God, you are going your own way. Romans chapter, six verse, chapter 8 verse 6 to 8. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Sub-chapter 8, verse 6 to 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind is set, sorry, because the mind set on the flesh is at enmity toward God, for it does, it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. You see how the message is wrapped around in this passage of scripture. That for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That's where the opposite is. The mind set on the flesh is the mind that is controlled by the desires of our carnal flesh, the desires of the worldly man. There is no life in that person. But on the opposite, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that's controlled by the spirit, that's the mind that is awake, um, that is alive to God. And because the mind set on the flesh is at enmity toward God, that's the other aspect. That besides you not wanting to, do, besides you being incapable of doing what God wants, you are at enmity with God. You hate God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so, even if you wanted to, if you are in. Um, if you are living by the flesh, you are not capable of subjecting yourself to the law of God. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. You cannot please God if you do things according to the flesh. So a man dead in sin, this is another aspect, feels at home 
in the world. He loves the world. A person who's dead in sin feels at home in the world and he loves the world. That's just it. <laughs> yeah, you cannot please God. The, the Bible says that uh, if you make yourself friends with the world, you uh, become an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. And when you look at our lives, most of us, that back when we were in the world, we used to love the world. But God took us out of the world. And now we do not, we are not of the world, even though we live in the world, and we do not love the things of the world. Because we've been made, made alive to Christ. That's leading us to, to our um, lesson on what the Holy Spirit did or has done or is doing to men like us or to mankind. That being said, a spiritually dead per- person is incapable of giving himself life. So, like we talked about, that when you are a corpse, even if you are told, rise up, you cannot rise up. If you are told to listen, you cannot listen. You, can, you cannot tell a corpse to do anything and it will do. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. We see the, even the story, the interesting story of Lazarus, the, the, the Lazarus who died, um, not the one who died and you know, had an encounter up there. No, we're talking about the Lazarus who died and Jesus wept. That Lazarus, he could only rise after Jesus himself had said, Lazarus, rise. But he was incapable of raising himself from the dead. That's how it looks like. Or that's how it is to anyone who's spiritually dead. Unless God says, rise up, you will not rise up. You are incapable. Another thing is, another spiritually dead person cannot give life to another spiritually dead person. Two corpses cannot tell each other, ah, guys, let's, let's wake up. Or another corpse cannot raise another corpse. So a spiritually dead person cannot give life to another spiritually dead person. So when you see in the world people trying to give each other life, advice, you know, this is what you should do to... To, to, to live a much more purposeful life. That's just another corpse telling another corpse how to have life, but it will not work. Another interesting truth is even the spiritually alive person, that is us Christians, cannot give life to a spiritually dead person. We do not have extra to give. We only got enough of life. So, it just shows that it's not also in us Christians to be able to give life to other people. It's only in, uh, there's only one way or one external being that can give life. So, this just sums up one thing, that there is no hope for mankind, from mankind. We cannot save ourselves we cannot save each other. We are completely dead in our trespasses. Even we who are alive, we cannot do anything for other humans who are dead in their sins to be, uh, or to be made alive. There's nothing that we can do. So it is also impossible 
for dead men to seek salvation as well. They run away from the source of salvation. So a dead man cannot seek salvation. They run away from the source of salvation. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 to 18. Just because of time, I'll just read. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. There is none who does good. Not, there is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So it's like north and north magnet. When God is there, they're actually uh, being... They're actually going the opposite way. They are incapable of seeking for God. That's the nature of mankind. There is more that we can talk about in this subject of uh, depravity. We should even call total depravity. That's what it is. Total depravity. Incapability. You cannot do anything to uh, gain salvation. You cannot do anything to please God if you are in the world. As scripture said in Romans that those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. So, this leads us to the topic of regeneration. After having established that there is incapability in mankind, then it leads us to regeneration. It makes regeneration understandable. So, knowing that there is no hope for men, for, me, for, for mankind from himself or from another man, we are only left with one possible way out of our depravity, or of, out of our total depravity. And that way out is God, who is the source of life himself. And God is the only one who can raise us from our spiritual death. It's only God. Like I said, no human being, even us who have been called uh, to life, we cannot give life. Only God gives life. So here is where the Holy Spirit is introduced. This is where we get to meet the Holy Spirit. And we often emphasize on um, the work of Christ uh, to salvation or what Christ did for us to be saved. But the truth is, it was the work of the triune God. The God three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in salvation. Differently, different roles, but they were working together. So now we're exploring what was the role, what the role of the Holy Spirit was in salvation or is in salvation. So what does the Holy Spirit do? So the Holy Spirit comes to breathe life into a dead soul. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to breathe life into a dead soul. 
Like we said, a dead, spiritually dead person is no spiritual life. Spiritual life comes from God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to breathe life into a spiritually dead person to have life. I hope it's, it's understandable and easy to comprehend. Yeah. This work of giving life, that is what is known as regeneration. Regeneration. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. We're going back to Ephesians. I'm sure that's, you can understand the whole work from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. See, the subject here is God. And the phrase here is made us alive. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. That means the work of regeneration only comes from God. It's only God who performs it. Verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we here we see that the act of giving life comes from God. The act of regeneration comes from God, not from mankind. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. And you, being dead in your transgressions and the, circum- and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having, gl- having graciously forgiven us all our, tra- our transgressions. He made, uh, he made you alive with him, having graciously given us all Forgiven us all our transgressions. That's what regeneration is all about. Regeneration is the Holy Spirit coming to breathe life into a dead spirit. Or into a spiritually dead man. So how does it work in salvation? Regeneration is the first step towards salvation. And it only makes sense that you cannot do all the other things if the person is dead. Okay, let's talk about a human being who died, right? Let's say you are capable of raising a human being. What would be the most logical process to follow? Should you feed it first, the corpse, before it's awake? First, you need to um, wake it up, and then you give it food, and then you clothe it, whatever you do. But the first step is for the corpse to rise up. It only makes sense that way. That for even a spiritually dead person to be able to do everything else, they need life. And regeneration happens first. The breathing of life. You wake up first and then you repent. 
So there's regeneration, the first step. The second step is repentance, and then faith, and then salvation. So salvation is not the first thing. You're not saved before you are regenerated. You need life first. After receiving life, you are now capable of going before God in repentance, to repent and say, Lord, I've sinned against you, and I turn away from my sin. And after repenting, God gives you the faith to trust in God's or in Christ's gifts of salvation. That's the whole process. Also see that regeneration is also known as effectual, irresistible calling. Like we said, a dead person cannot do anything. Even when the Holy Spirit comes to say, wake up, you are not even capable of saying, no, I don't want, because you are incapable of anything. So it's irresistible. When the Holy Spirit breathes life into a spiritually dead person, you just wake up. That's it. So it's an irresistible, effectual calling. How do we know this? John chapter 5, verse 25. John chapter 5, verse 25. Let me read from 19 for context. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so, is, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So the life-giving aspect of it. The hour is coming, an hour is coming, and now is here, 25, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Regeneration happens. It's a little bit confusing now it's talking about the Son, but just understanding that this is an act of the triune God. The Son calls, or He, he, he speaks, and the Holy Spirit breathes life into the person. And whoever hears the voice, or he, whoever hears the Son of God, receives life in himself. Another aspect not aspects, but another proof of regeneration being an, an effectual, irresistible calling. 
is um, in the story of Nicodemus, that, that encounter by Nicodemus and, and Christ. There's a part he talks about um, that the wind blows wherever it, it, it pleases. No one will know where he's coming from or where he's going. You just see the works. Right. So we see that the Holy Spirit here is doing the work and the effectual irresistible calling in that no one can even trace where he's going. He just comes and then you see the effects. That's all. There is no back and forth. Do you want to be born again? Uh, are you sure? No, he just comes. From wherever, you don't see where he's coming from. He comes. He does his work. And you see the effect. You cannot resist the Holy Spirit. You cannot resist re, uh, regeneration. Moving on. Let's look at characteristics of regeneration. How do you see regeneration? Or oh, what, what, not how do you see, but what, what are the aspects, all the, the, the things you see around regeneration? Oh, yeah, everything about regeneration. The first thing about regeneration, or first characteristic of regeneration is, it's an act of grace, like we talked about. It's an act of grace. No man is capable of doing anything. This is just pure Calvinism, I would say. It's an act of grace alone. Maybe I should have added alone. It's an act of grace Ephesians chapter 2, again, verse 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And there is that hyphen. By grace you have been saved. It's an act of grace. So no man in himself is capable of walking halfway towards salvation and God walks the other half. No. You are dead, completely dead. You are a corpse, incapable of nothing. And God comes to breathe life. The Holy Spirit comes to breathe life into your incapabilities, whatever you are. And only is the grace of God. Like we said, the wind blows wherever it wishes and you hear its sound but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So it's everyone who is born of the Spirit. If we could chase it, if you could chase the Holy Spirit, even if we could chase the wind, we can't. We will not even know where it's coming from, or even where it's starting. Where's the source of the wind? Where is the Holy Spirit coming from? We cannot chase him around and seek after his grace. He just blows wherever he wishes. Grace. Maybe there is Maybe a sermon is preached and he blows and then he breathes life whenever out of 15 people he chooses four. That's his work. It's grace. Because if it was an act of mankind, no one, according to scripture, even seeks after God. And even if people sought after God, that means everyone who hears the gospel gets saved, which is false. Just like our charismatic friends like to think that it works that way. That receive Christ and then they pray for you and then, you know, as though it's your choice. 
Or as though you can choose to say, ah, I need salvation. The Holy Spirit come and breathe life. Remember the steps of salvation, regeneration first. You cannot call unto God. Secondly, a second characteristic, a second characteristic of regeneration, it is a sovereign work. It is a sovereign work. Like we said, the wind blows where it wishes. John 3, 18. I'm not going to repeat it again. It's a sovereign work. It's God having power to decide or to ordain regeneration to whomever he does. No one whispers in his ear to tell him this and this and this person shall be saved or should be saved. It's his sovereign work. He does it for whomever he wishes. So you did not choose God, he chose you. You did not raise yourself, he raised you. You did not give yourself life, he gave you. And you, did, you couldn't do anything about it. Number three. It is a sudden work, not gradual. So regeneration doesn't happen over time that you... You know, you're being regenerated over time, then it takes you a long while. When the Holy Spirit comes to breathe life, you rise up instantly. Everything else, uh, sanctification and things like that, can be gradual, but regeneration is gradual. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Just like, just as within a day or instantly when God said, let there be light and there was light. Just that same happens when God breathes life into a person. When he says, let there be life, life um, springs out in you. It's not a gradual process. So whenever you are saved, just know that you are saved and it happened. When God called you, you were called indeed. You don't need to, you're not in a process of being called. You're not in a process of being saved. It happened. It happened instantly. Number four. It is an irresistible and effectual work. It is an irresistible and effectual work. Like we say, you cannot resist regeneration. Because you are dead, you are not capable of arguing with God whether you want to be saved or not. He comes, he breathes life, and that's it. It's, it's effectual that when God calls, when God says, rise, you rise, it just happens. Sorry, I forgot my verses here. I'll give them to you later. <clears throat> Number five, it is a sustained work. It is a sustained work. 
So what this means is when we are regenerated, we are regenerated indeed and we are regenerated forever, right? It's not something that you are regenerated and then you die again and then it comes and regenerates you. When it happens, it happens for eternity. It gives eternal life. That's what even John 3.16 said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but um, have everlasting life. So the regeneration or the life that's breathed into you is everlasting. So, yeah. It just trumps on the idea that you cannot be unsaved. Once you're saved, you, are, you cannot be unsaved. People will say, ah, you used to be a Christian, and then you, yeah, you woke up not a Christian. That never happens. The statement is, you were never a Christian at all. So once you are saved, once the Holy Spirit gives life, it gives life to the end, or oh, throughout eternity. I'll just read this part by Conrad, where he says, The Holy Spirit does not give us life and then abandon us while he goes off to do other things. He is the one who sustains that very life until we get to heaven. So even when he gives life, it's eternal, and he does not give and leave us. He gives life, and then now he starts to do all the, the rest of the work himself until we go to heaven. If he was to withdraw, then that would be the end of our spiritual lives. But he does, but he does not. He gives us that life and sustains it right through. The one evil will come and fight. Sorry, the evil one will come and fight, but it's too late. God has taken over. That is why it is called eternal life. So, eternal life. So now it's, it's, it's weaving together in there. The promise of eternal life, that means when it's given, it's not for us to sustain. It's a promise. We're given eternal life, and God himself ensures that we have eternal life. So, if the evil one or the world tries to do anything, it cannot take away that life from you. Because God himself sustains it. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. That the, when you are regenerated or when you are saved, um, he's not taking a vacation. He's actually effectually working, applying salvation. When Jesus, or when God calls, he ensures you're here. That's what he does, right? That's why even when we do evangelism, sometimes we think that it's within our power to call and someone is convinced, ah, okay, I want to become a Christian. But in fact, our responsibility is merely to preach the gospel and leave it to the Holy Spirit to make that person hear the, the gospel and for redemption and for life to be applied to that person. This also should serve as a, a message of assurance to us who sometimes struggle with um, assurance that if you are saved, if you have eternal life, you have eternal life indeed. If you may wonder of 
and feel like you have abandoned salvation, but you cannot abandon salvation. You cannot abandon eternal life. It, it happens that sometimes even in life we, we go to the bottom of ourselves and think that, you know, I might not be saved at all. The things I'm doing, but it's not in you, it's not up to you. It's God who gives eternal life and he sustains it. So let it be an encouragement to you. All right. Um, at this time, we have 15 minutes of questions and answers.